can be seated. So good to have you with us, Jeremy. Thank you so much. He was, he was telling me that he went to high school. He went here when he was in high school. Is that correct? It was just incredible to see. That's right. What the Lord has done through this church and the legacy that it's going through folks that are all over, right, in all sorts of places. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, find the book of First John and find chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and did you know that when you came to church today, you actually came today on a holiday, right? Many may not know it, but today is actually a holiday that around the world Christians celebrate. Today is the Christian holiday known as Pentecost. Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50 and marks 50 days after Jesus ascends into heaven. At Pentecost, the the Jews would typically be celebrating the arrival of the law from Sinai. But for Christians, we recognize that as Acts chapter 2 tells us, the Spirit was poured out, power was given to the church for mission and witness. And in many ways, Pentecost is the church's birthday. So happy birthday, church, big C, right? The global church was born on this day. And all that Jesus promised in the upper room began on the day of Pentecost. And John is going to speak for us today about the Holy Spirit. The gift of Pentecost is going to talk about it in terms of having an anointing. Now, in the church world, we use the term anointing, and we typically reserve it for a select few. Like, man, that guy's really anointed over there. But the good news of Pentecost is that all of God's children— All believers in Jesus have received the Spirit in fullness. And John's actually going to tell us that all of us have been anointed by God and given the fullness of anointing. He's anointed us with the Spirit to point us toward truth and to protect us from false teachers in the world. So let's look together. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 18 and read to verse 27. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you have heard, if what you had heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide at the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, 
just as it has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of God. John here gets a very serious tone. He's very almost father-like. Maybe fathers and parents in the room have ever experienced this. Setting down your child to give them a very somber warning. Now, son, I know you got this new truck, but make sure you always wear your seatbelts and you always watch for signs and that, and that you're safe and careful with all that you do. Or maybe you've said, now, my daughter... I'm glad you're going out on this date, and I'm glad you like this boy. But remember, not every boy has good intentions. Be careful. And John, like a father, says, Now, my children, be aware of false teaching. And John doesn't mince words here, does he? He gives them a somber title. He calls these false teachers antichrists. It's pretty strong language, right? They are anti-Christ. They are opposed to him and to his word. The term anti can mean opposite of. It can mean even someone who places themselves in the place of. And so many of us think about antichrist and we begin to think about uh, the end times or maybe a book we've read about the end times, right? And, And while John may have a piece of that in mind here, his primary concern is this, that antichrists are false teachers who are opposed to Christ in their life and teaching by rejecting his authority. He says, hey, these antichrists, some of y'all are worried about them coming later down the road, but he says, hey, there are antichrists right around you. There is false teaching right around you, people who are opposed to Christ in their life and teaching and who are rejecting his authority. Look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Notice that Father John here, as we're going to call him, starts denoting the time. He said, it is the last hour. Remember, John's writing this in the first century, and he's saying, hey, look around This around us is the last hour. Jesus has come. The Spirit has been poured out. The church has been established. This is the final age or the final installment of God's plan in history. John was living in a time called the last hour. And think about how much later we now live in a time called the last hour. Remember, God doesn't often relate to time as we do. Paul says much a similar thing. He wrote over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in his last letter. Here's what he wrote. He said, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Remember, Paul was writing to people there in the first century and warning them about stuff that was going to happen to them in the last days. John is writing to people in the first century, warning about false teachers there in the last hour. Friends, he's not primarily concerned about something far ahead or far distant to them or some thousands of years in the future. No, here's what he's telling us. He's saying the last days are not the last few days of human history, but rather refers to the time between the first and second coming of Jesus. That's a lot simply to say. John's saying, hey, a new era has come. (laughs) Jesus has arrived. The Spirit is here. The church has been established. And with greater blessings also comes greater threats. (laughs) 
that because Jesus has come, there's going to be all kinds of forces that will teach opposed to him and against him. He says, hey, remember, if you understand what year it is, it's no longer B.C., it's A.D., right? Christ has come, a new day has dawned. And John says one of the ways that they could know that the last hour has arrived was that Antichrist false teachers has appeared. In fact, he finished verse 18 by saying, Therefore, because of the false teachers, we know that it is the last hour. He says, hey, Christ warned us that after he was to ascend, that false teachers and false prophets would come and that the church would experience all these things Jesus warned about. And friends, we must be aware that false teaching is just as much a problem in our day. It's not as if John had that problem and we don't have a problem with falsehood today. In fact, I would say that, friends, our access to everything unholy and false is far greater. Remember, John's audience didn't have a smartphone. John's audience didn't have YouTube or TikTok, right? They didn't have all of these forces. They certainly didn't have mainstream media on 24-7. And we need to remember that not everything that claims to be Christian or even calls itself a church is faithful to Christ and his teaching. Not every preacher you see on TV or on YouTube has your eternal spiritual interests in mind. So how do we begin to recognize antichrists? How do we begin to recognize false teachings? What are we to look out for? And that's what John's primary point is in 1 John chapter 2, and he offers us three marks or three ways to recognize a false teacher. And he starts by telling us to recognize them by their departure from God's community. Their departure from God's people. Their departure away from the community of faith. Look with me at verse 19. He says, They, he's again talking back to these false teachers, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might become plain that they are not all of us. Notice, John begins to lump together not just the teachers, but also their followers. They departed from Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in order to do their own thing. And I want to be clear, he's not simply talking about people who might leave a specific local church to go to another solid local church across town for whatever reason that might have been. No, no, no. He's talking about people who don't just depart from a lower lower case C local church, from the capital case C. I'm done with this. I'm done with the faith. I'm leaving behind all the churches because they're all false, and I'm going to go do my own thing with my own group of people. He says, if you want to recognize the spirit of the devil at work, look where unnecessary church division begins to occur. Look where those who attack God's people, look where divisions and argumentative people are to recognize an antichrist. He says, begin to recognize those who are anti-church, who are anti-God's people. Or who want to argue that their organization or their institution is the one true church on earth and that all others have it wrong. That's why it's so good for churches like ours to be in cooperation with other churches. Because it shows that, friends, the good news is that we're not the only game in town. (laughs) And we're not 
There are so many, and we're fortunate to live in a place where there are so many gospel-preaching, Bible-believing churches in our town. But one of the things that false teachers do before they ever go after an essential doctrine and start teaching something wacky about Jesus or about salvation, they will often go after the family of God first. They'll go, hey, you don't, you don't need those folks. You can come over here with me, and I'll tell you everything that you need to know. And they do this for a number of reasons. First, it's because the church is given to us as a safeguard. Remember, the fellowship of God's people is meant to protect you from the lies of the enemy. If a false teacher can get you alone, they've got a lot better of a chance to deceive you. Think about this out in the wild. If you were to separate yourself from the herd, from the family of God, there's a lion that prowls and will seek to devour you. But he says, together we stand firm, and together we hold one another up and hold one another to the truth. He reminds us second that the church is the bride of Christ. He says, hey, if you can get Satan to reject the bride, if he can get you to reject the bride, then he can get you to reject the true Christ. Rejection of the church often comes right before the rejection of Christ. And finally, the church is meant to be diverse, yet false teachers would seek to make it uniform. You'll find this so often. There's false teachers that'll say things like, well, you can know that our church is true because we're, we're all unified. And they use this seemingly spiritual language all around unity. And what they mean is, you all look like me. <laughs> What they mean is, hey, you all look like the leader of that organization. But friends, we don't want to look like some leader of an organization. We want to look like Jesus. And the beauty of the church is her unity and doctrine, but also her diversity in expression and gifting. We don't all walk in here and wear a uniform, wear the exact same thing and look alike and believe everything exactly alike. And that's okay. And those who depart to the community of faith, he says, and again, he's talking, those who leave behind it all, every church has it wrong, I'm off on my own, he says, they actually reveal that they may have never been truly among the family of faith, that those who leave the gospel may have never truly embraced the gospel, they went out from us because they were never of us. But fortunately, John offers us hope in the midst of deception. Look at verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. He says, God's not left you alone. You've been anointed by God, given the Holy Spirit, who will point you toward the truth. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit has given us divine knowledge to know the truth. The Holy Spirit has given us divine knowledge so that we can know the truth. And it's important that we see that the you here in the original language is plural. If I could translate this into Kentucky, he's saying, hey, y'all been given the Spirit. So that together as a community, you can pursue truth together. In fact, I want to warn you, often false teachers are going to use language like 1 John 2 and go, hey, I've been given the anointing so that I can teach you. I have some sort of special knowledge that you just don't have access to. And often they'll try to get you away from a community of concerned believers who love you and walk beside you to get you alone so they can twist the scriptures to their own 
advantage. But he says, remember, the anointing of the Holy Spirit has been given to the community of faith. We are indwelt as the Holy, by the Holy Spirit as his temple. And imagine what a greater temple we build when a bunch of temples all come together to study and worship and pursue the Lord. Remember, anything that, Satan, that God does, Satan tries to fake. One Bible teacher said it this way, what God does, Satan counterfeits. The Holy Spirit will bring true knowledge, which will point toward Jesus and his church. But there are unholy spirits in the world that will point you toward false knowledge, our antichrist, and will point you away from the truth. He says, you can recognize a false teacher by their departure from God's community. He says, second, you can note a false teacher by their denial of God's truth, or their denial of biblical truth. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Notice, John starts with a test of fellowship. They've departed from the community of faith. Now he gives a test of doctrine. He says they're denying clear biblical truth from God. They're denying that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And by denying Jesus, they're denying the Father. The whole doctrine of the Trinity begins to fall apart. And it's important to notice that John is not simply talking about teaching which is false. He isn't saying that these antichrists are folks who might have a, different, a slightly different view on politics, maybe a slightly different view on who they voted for. Maybe they have a slightly different understanding of the end times or a different understanding of baptism. No, he's reserving this antichrist title for those who deny things that are central to Christian teaching. To those who deny who Jesus is and are opposed to Jesus in what they do. We learn in chapter 4 that many of these false teachers, what they were teaching, they were saying, hey, Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. They said things like, well, they could affirm Jesus was God, but they denied that he was man. And, and they thought, well, he might have appeared to have a body, but he was just sort of a walking around spirit. That's what these folks began to teach. They began to say things like, well, we all know human flesh is bad and the spirit is good. And they would go, hey, because of that, people aren't going to be raised bodily on the last day. Others, they went as far as to say, well, since Jesus didn't come in a flesh and he wasn't actually a man and he didn't have a body, the sufferings on the cross were, not, were only apparent. They weren't actual. And, and what's happening here is John isn't splitting theological hairs. Have you ever met those people who want to get so precise and argue with you about these tiny little points? John's not doing that here. He's talking to folks who denied the very heart of the gospel and the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. They were relying on their own fallen human reason over the divine revelation of Scripture. They'd say things like, it doesn't make much sense to me that Jesus could be both God and man. Sure, I know the Scriptures say it, but 
How does that fully make sense in my mind? And the spirit of the Antichrist is one that causes us to have to pick and choose what parts of God's word we want to believe and other parts that we want to reject. But God's word knows better than we do. And this is a warning again to us that we need to hear. Not everything that says church on the sign outside is a true church. There are churches in our community that deny the authority of Scripture and draw twisted conclusions about Jesus. There are churches in our community that would minimize the sufficiency of Christ's word, of Christ's work on the cross. Be careful. Don't believe someone simply because they went to seminary. Let me tell you, seminary can be a scary place. There's some wacky folks that teach out there at seminaries or just because they wrote a book or just because they have a following we need to teach and we need to test all teaching against the word of god and this is what john tells us later on look at first john chapter four and look what we see there he says beloved do not believe every spirit he says behind every teaching there's a spirit at work whether the Holy Spirit or, or an unholy spirit. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. He says, test all teaching. You want to know where the spirit's moving? Don't look simply for where they might have the greatest experience. But he says, test their doctrine. Because friends, let me tell you, the devil can get you real excited about stuff. The devil can get you all worked up and even get you in a building and stick a church out and stick a church sign outside. But friends, it can be an antichrist church because there's no true doctrine inside. He says, test all teaching, but also abide in true teaching. Back in 1 John chapter 2, this is where he picks up in verse 24. After showing us the denial of these false teachers, he says this, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. He says, abide in the truth. Have it be rooted in you. Meditate on it. Stay deeply connected to it. You know what they say? If you've ever worked a day in retail where you're handling money, one of the ways they tell you you can recognize a counterfeit is that you need to know what the truth looks like. And in the same way for us, if you want to be protected from a counterfeit Christianity, you need to know the truth. To recognize the counterfeit, you need to recognize the truth. There are ways if you look at a dollar bill, you can see there are certain symbols and things that are only on the real dollar bills that, are not, that they can't reproduce on some of the fakes. And in order to recognize the counterfeit, you need to know the truth. Because through the truth, we abide in Jesus, and Jesus abides in us. To whom else shall we go? He has the words of everlasting life. 
Did you know that this is why we encourage daily Bible reading? Did you know the, the purpose of opening up your Bible every morning isn't so, well, look, God, look at what a good servant I'm being to you. Hopefully you'll love me now. No, that's not what it's for. That's so you can abide and be in relationship and a connection to the truth. This is why small groups matter. And getting in small groups and spending time with other believers matters. This is why Sunday church attendance is so important. It's not that we're checking a box and going, great, I've, I've got my Jesus for the week and I don't need any more. No, the emphasis here is on the plural you, that we have this together and we abide in the truth together. And friends, there's tons of ways if you're not regularly reading your Bible every morning. Let me encourage you to get the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. There's reading plans there you can get that are easy, that are beginner level. You can start just daily beginning to intake God's Word. If you're not in a small group, you can talk to me or fill out a Connect card, and when those get started in the fall, you can get plugged in there, or you can show up at 9 a.m. and go to a wonderful small group going through Galatians every morning. There's opportunities to abide in truth together. But John is one more mark of a false teacher we need to see. They don't simply call you to depart from God's community and to, and, a, and to deny biblical truth. We see finally, we need to notice their deliberate attempts to deceive. Their deliberate attempts to deceive. Look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. This is important to realize. There are people who are out there actively trying to deceive you. Some of you, that might come as a shock. Some of you are like, well, no duh, preacher. I knew that a long time ago. But it's important that we realize there are people out there who claim to come in the name of God whose goal is to deceive you. And it's an important distinction because false teachers are not simply ignorant. They are intentional in their attempts to deceive. It's not about a misunderstanding or miscommunication or simply being misinformed and later corrected. Let me tell you, if, you've been te- if you hear any teacher who's been teaching the Bible a long time, there's probably a time you can go back and find missteps, mistakes, or miswordings that they did, right? But this is about intentionally deceiving others, There's so many so-called preachers who don't care about your spiritual well-being, only lining their own pockets. They aren't about the truth. They're about their own words. They aren't about pointing to Jesus, only about pointing to themselves. And they're so often that they're swayed by human opinion. They're talking about the latest thing that you're talking about because they're driven by the world's truth and not by God's truth. Friends, there are so many pressures week in and week out on people who proclaim God's word, but the call remains the same. Preach the word. Look what Paul encourages us to do over in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I love this. This is some of his last instructions to young Timothy before Paul dies in prison. And we see this. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means all the time. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? 
For the time is coming when people will not endure with sound teaching, but have itching ears. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Notice why he says false teaching is so important. He says fault, that, that why faithful preaching is so important. Faithful preaching is so important because people don't endure sound teaching. They'd rather gather people who are going to say exactly what they were already thinking. They're going to gather for themselves people who can confirm them in whatever they're walking in. They, don't, they desire to hear what they want to hear, and they would rather have myths than the truth. Falsehood abounds. And friends, we're, we're all tempted often to mistake Christian maturity for Christian busyness. And this is often a strategy that many churches have. Of, well, I'm going to make what they hear from the pulpit and in Bible study, I'm going to make it just sort of soft, warm milk for a baby. And, and if I keep them busy with enough activities and programs and all of that, then, then maybe they'll actually think they know and love God. That as long as the preacher's saying how I want him to say it, and as long as this church has everything I want in it instead of what Jesus would want in it, then we're okay. We're often okay with a church that will step on the world's toes, but we want it to leave my sins and my struggles alone. Don't, don't talk about me. Talk about those people out there. Don't fall for it. Pursue teaching that is deep, that's faithful, that's God-centered rather than you-centered. The church is not like Burger King. You can't have it your way. You often won't have it your way. And may we desire to have it God's way instead. And we're reminded that even as the kingdom of darkness has a scheme to deceive you, the kingdom of God has a gift to protect you. That even as the kingdom of darkness has a scheme to deceive you, Friends, the kingdom of God is a gift to protect you. Look at verse 27 of 1 John chapter 2. Look at this. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. John here returns to talking about the anointing, the Holy Spirit. That because of the Holy Spirit, he says, you aren't reliant on human teachers. Now, some people take a verse like this to say, well, because I have the Holy Spirit, I can just reject all human teachers. And I think that's a wrong conclusion because remember, John is a human. And he is teaching you and writing this, right, to us. I don't think he's telling us that we should just reject all human teaching. He's, again, speaking to the community as a whole. He's saying, hey, y'all, y'all here with the Spirit of God have enough together to figure out what is true and what is false. He says you shouldn't have utter reliance. He isn't saying you shouldn't have teachers, but he's saying the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to together grow and learn and be taught by God himself through his word. He says the Christian community shouldn't be dependent on one man behind a podium, but rather all God's people should be growing together in their ability to teach God's word, even if there might be a main person who is teaching and helping in that growth. 
He isn't encouraging us. I've seen people take a verse like verse 27 and go, well, this means I'm just going to go sit under a tree, me and the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. We got this. And he says, no, 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 no. He's saying that any benefit that you get from a human teacher who teaches God's word, he says, ultimately, that's a gift from the Holy Spirit. And that all teaching that is true and grows you is ultimately from the Holy Spirit. It isn't because of anything in the preacher. It isn't because of their education or their charisma or their degree or some secret knowledge they have that you can't get in on. He says, it's all because of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, there's so many people that think that every week for me, I just go in some closet somewhere, close myself in there, and I just pray for six hours, and I come out with a sermon and go, I got it. <laughs> no one else here could have studied or prayed or done. No, 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 no. In some sense, all of us can pursue God's word and come out. We have no need for this secret, for, for secret knowledge or for those who want to take the Bible out of the hands of the people in the seats and reserve it for a select group of leaders. No, Christ has anointed us all with the Holy Spirit so that we can understand and explain God's word to others. You can come and study and read and pursue and pray and come to conclusions about God's word if the Holy Spirit is in you. But let me ask you this, believer. Are you growing in this anointing? Are you pursuing God in his word so that you can teach other people? Is your Christian life dependent fully on another human teacher? Because that's a scary place to be because that human teacher is going to die one day. Even if they're on YouTube, there's only so much Charles Stanley out there you can listen to. Or whoever it might be, right? Again, Christian teachers are a gift. I'm not telling you to reject them. But don't make yourselves dependent on them. John Piper is a gift, but be careful you don't get caught saying, thus saith John Piper, <laughs> more than you say, thus saith the Lord. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes, not from the mouth of me, or from the mouth of the TV preacher, but from the mouth of God. Let me close here with this. And we're here on this day of Pentecost, and we remember God's given us the Holy Spirit. And that part of what makes the church so unique is you have all of these people filled with the Spirit coming together, and it's sort of an overflow of the Spirit. Like, I've got it, you've got it. And it's just overflowing together, and we come together to worship the one who dwells within us. But the only way to receive the Holy Spirit is by receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The only way to guard from falsehood and from antichrist is by receiving and pursuing the one true Christ. He's come and lived a perfect life. He's died on the cross for our sins. And he's risen again on the third day so that through repentance and faith, you can come to know him, love him, and serve him. He would even give those who trust him by faith the Holy Spirit to anoint us with the truth so that the truth would set us free so that he can guide us in day-to-day -day life, and so that we can pursue his will for our life in the word. Friends, do you have the Holy Spirit? When you come to the word, is, is, is God speaking to you? Or are we just kind of going along, checking the box, playing the church game? Because friends, let me tell you, there is so much more 
than check in the box and play in the game. God desires to dwell in you and to save you and to bring you into right relationship with himself. And that is the gospel message we remember in the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in a bit. And, and what the Lord's Supper is is, is, a, is a reminder of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. And it's something that's for Christians. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you're not sure if you're a Christian, I'd encourage you just to let the bread and the juice kind of pass you by and use the time to reflect on what's been shared uh, this morning. But the Lord's Supper is meant to remind us of all that Jesus has done and to be received by those who have received him. And it's also an invitation to those who have not received him that you can come unto him and eat. You can pray right where you are. You can come talk to me. But in these next moments before we take the supper, I want us to take some time to worship, to sing together, to reflect, and maybe even to make commitments. Maybe today you need to make a commitment to pursue God in personal study or to pursue God in family worship together in a way that's renewed. And not to go in and go, man, I'm going to sit down this afternoon and read the whole book of Leviticus. I got this. But small, small manageable steps. Why don't you start with the chapter of John? (laughs) You know, manageable steps you can do. Maybe you need to make the commitment today to know God via personal faith and not try to, you know, you can't ride the coattails of others into heaven, right? You know you can't ride on the back of your grandparents or your parents' faith into heaven. You've got to make your own personal commitments to follow after Jesus. Because if, if it's not following after him, you're going to follow after something. Or maybe it's to make a commitment to serve God through your personal testimony. Maybe you know someone caught up in falsehood that you know you can speak to and maybe offer some encouragement to flee from that falsehood. Whatever that commitment is, I'll be down front, down here, and you're welcome to come pray with me. You're welcome to pray at the steps. You're welcome just to stay where you are. But in these next moments, we're going to worship the Holy One who has anointed his people and given us the Holy Spirit so that we can worship him in spirit and truth. Let's, Let's stand, let's pray together, and let's prepare our hearts, yes, to worship, but also to take the Lord's Supper together. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I'm so thankful that you have not left us on our own. You've not left us to walk and try to discern the truth and the falsehood on our own in our own power. But you've given us the Holy Spirit. What a gift the Holy Spirit is. You've given us the Holy Spirit so that we can know you, love you, and serve you. Today, if there's anybody here who, doesn't ha- who has not received you as their Lord and their Savior, who's not received the Holy Spirit into their life, that they would do that right now. But also that, there, that those of us who have your Spirit would make commitments to pursue the Spirit, to live filled with the Spirit in your word by your power. We thank you for this time together and pray that you're honored in whatever commitments that we make. And we ask and we pray this on Jesus' name. Amen. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. 
What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are stilled and striving cease My comforter, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I'll stand Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. 